Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Enlightenment can be found in the most unexpected places, including in Western literature. According to my guest, Dean Slider, there is a lot we can learn from these beloved classics. We can read Hemingway as haiku, learn mindfulness from Virginia Woolf, see Whitman and Dixon as Buddhas of poetry, and Huck Finn and Gatsby as seekers of the infinite. In this interview, We'll learn more about Dean Slider's unique approach to mindfulness and awakening. Dean Slider has taught natural methods of meditation and awakening since 1970. His five highly acclaimed books include the bestseller, Natural Meditation. Dean gives sessions throughout the United States and beyond, from Ivy League colleges to maximum security prisons. His media appearances include the New York Times, the Dr. Oz Show, and the Oprah Magazine. A student of Eastern and Western sages in several traditions, Dean has completed numerous pilgrimages and retreats in India, Tibet, Nepal, and the West. During our discussion, Dean will explain the wisdom we can glean from several literary giants he mentions in his new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics and how we can apply them in our daily life. He also offers advice on enhancing our meditation and mindfulness practice. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you. Hello, Dean. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I am so glad that we have this opportunity to connect today to talk about your new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. Um, I just finished reading it, and I have to say that it is a very compelling read and so unique in its approach. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a pleasure to read. Great. Thank you. Glad to hear that. Okay, so Dean, uh, let's start by getting to know you uh, a little bit. So you were an English teacher at a very traditional prep school for 33 years, and you've also been teaching meditation for a really long time. So um, I'm curious to know, how did those uh, experiences from both those professions uh, collectively shape your uh, unique point of view that you present in this book? Well, I kept coming back and teaching um, often the same books year after year, 
So if you keep coming back every September and you teach Huckleberry Finn again and you teach the catcher and the rye again, uh, then you, you tend to get deeper and deeper into them if you're, you know, paying any attention. Meanwhile, uh, during the summers and Christmas breaks, I was off on meditation retreats and sitting doing my own meditation and my own meditation teaching all year. So I was getting deeper and deeper into my own self-exploration through that. And, you know, you get deep enough into anything, there's a place where they all meet. It's like you, you drill a couple of holes into the earth, they meet at the center. So I started to see these, these places of connection. I started to see that when Huck Finn runs away from his horrible drunken father and in the middle of the night rows into the middle of the Mississippi River, uh, lying down in a salvaged canoe, looking up into the moonlight. And he says, and I just let her drift. I got out amongst the, 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 the driftwood. I just let her go and had a good rest and a smoke out of my pipe. And then he says, the sky looks ever so deep when you lay on your back in the moonshine. I never knowed it before. And I went, whoa, that is the initiation into the transcendent. That is, in fact, specifically, that's a practice that I learned from the Tibetan lamas that I studied with called Namkai Naljor, sky gazing meditation, where you have your eyes open, you can lie on your back or sit on a, on a recliner or a desk chair and just, you know, let your individuality melt into the sky. I went, whoa, there it is. And then I started seeing things like that everywhere. And I thought, boy, someone should write a, a book about this stuff. And after a while, I realized, oh, it's me. I'm curious to know, where did you, when did you start getting these insights about the parallels that you saw in the book and whatever you were learning from these retreats that you went on? Mm -hmm. Well, partly that sort of habit of looking at things that way goes back to my days in the early 70s with uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, who many people know was the the yes. teacher of the Beatles. Um, yes. And yes. he founded a, a university, Maharishi International University, uh, which I was involved with at the, the very beginning from the, the founding of it. Uh, and his whole idea, his concept was to teach all the traditional disciplines, physics, music, literature, from the point of view of enlightenment. And, um, and I was actually a, a teaching assistant uh, there and, and, and in the, I was enrolled in the master's degree program when it very first started in 1973. And, um, that made sense to me. Oh, yeah, right. It, look, the infinite must be everywhere or it wouldn't be the infinite. It's very simple. So if I had been, you know, if I'd had an inclination toward geology, I would have written a book about finding nirvana in rocks. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can see that. I can right. see that. So, so you're essentially, you know, you're essentially saying that we can find it um, anywhere, if we, everywhere, everywhere, if we, if we, look whatever for, you do, if you, pl if you play the sax, if you play the saxophone, if you raise children, if you, mm -hmm. you flip real estate, there is the, the infinite must be there. Nirvana must be lurking within it, and it's just a matter of kind of 
getting that angle and then there's a way to do whatever you do so that it becomes a gate into that. What what in, in the Buddhist world they called a Dharma gate, a gate into turning whatever you do into a path of awakening. Okay. So some of my listeners won't really know what you mean by nirvana and the infinite. Could you please explain those terms mm-hmm. a little bit, please? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the word nirvana, um, it's often misunderstood. People have a vague notion of it as, okay, some kind of heaven or paradise or um, some kind of, you know, exotic psychedelic fireworks going on 24-7, something like that. And it's actually something much more um, intimate and, and fundamental. The word nirvana literally means blown away, blown away. Or, or blown out, like when a candle flame is, is blown out. Yes. So the idea is that when all your, your concepts of the way you imagine things are um, get blown out, what's left? What is that your apprehension of reality as it is? And what all the sages, whether they're, whether it's the Buddha, or or Jesus or Rumi or Lao Tzu, you know, from all of the traditions, what they all report, really, right? because they're really out there in the field making observations. That that's right. what makes them sages. They're not sitting around speculating. They're talking right. about what happens when all your speculation is blown out. What's left? And what they all report is everything's fine. <laughs> Basically, to everything, to, to relax, darling. Everything's fine. Uh, everything that you worried about, uh, it was, it was. You didn't have to worry about it. You had to take care of business, some sure, but all the. Uh, and I, and in fact, I start the book uh, with the story of my first dramatic encounter with that when I was 11 or 12 years old. And even by then, my b- brain was in the habit of going, just worrying and churning and and all this kind of free-floating anxiety. And I picked up a copy of Mad Magazine with a picture yes. of the- Yes, right? I found that very, very interesting. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so tr- true story. My mom had sent me out to the garage to clear away all the comic books and toys that my brothers and I had left in the backseat of our Nash Rambler station wagon, which is how long ago this was, because we were going to a drive-in movie that night, which is how long ago this was. And um, my mind is churning. <laughs> and I pick up a Mad Magazine, and I look at the cover, and there is – I might have that picture. No. There's the the – picture, oh, it's here in the book, of Alfred E. Newman, who was their uh, idiot mascot, who always had this, <laughs> this right? Yes, yes. Silly, I, 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 face, I have seen those. Smile, and, yes. And his, I used to find him terrifying, but when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> and, his, and his motto. He had this very sinister what? look, like kind of like Beavis and Butthead. I don't know if you're familiar huh, with those okay. characters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, well, go ahead. But no, actually, <laughs> it's a good point because because people get excited. But when people have some kind of 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 opening experience, spiritual opening, um, then they tend to think, oh, then this will be the way for everyone. 
You know, one of my teachers once said, here's the history of religion in a nutshell. One day a guy was sitting in a tomato patch and he things opened up for him. He transcended. 2,000 years later, people were all sitting in tomato patches waiting for the great tomato to come and wearing little tomato medallions around their necks. Okay. So, so, so the great tomato is, you know, whatever happened to be the circumstances when some opening happens for you, that, that, that was for you. So for me, it was Alfred E. Newman. What me worry? All of a sudden I saw that all this churning, all this anxiety was called worry and that I was doing it. It wasn't being done to me, Mm -hmm. which is great news because if you're doing it, it means you can stop doing it. And, you know, oh, it's me revving the the engine of that car that garbage truck all the time i can that means i can take my foot off the pedal and i did and everything went just blissfully quiet blissfully silent and it was as if the only way i can describe it is as if the top of my head were taken off and merged with the sky wow And don't we all need that right now? Because yes, you know, we they, do, especially after the pandemic. I mean, Pan- pandemic and political craziness, political and, craziness. Yes. And then whatever individual suffering, you know, every individual that you pass on the street, we, you know, we don't know what they're going through. And Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. so, so yeah, so this is nirvana and just okayness. Just, you know, my my best definition of nirvana is infinite okayness. Just ah, the okayness infinite where everything okayness. is okay. Yeah. Mm. I like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 It rings a little, strikes a little chord, right? Yes, Because it does. we're all, we're all looking for that all the time, whether or not we think of it in terms of nirvana, meditation, enlightenment, even if we've never heard those words or, or thought that way. Every moment when you're, you know, standing in line at the ice cream store and looking at the menu and going, okay, do I want the rocky road or the, the, the chocolate mint? What you want is the nirvana, but it's not on the menu. So you, you settle for the, the closest facsimile in, in any given moment. Something, whatever seems like it'll produce the, the nearest facsimile to that, ah. And we get a certain amount of, of that, ah, from the ice cream, from, you know, completing the, the college course, from writing the song, from doing whatever we do, from watching our mm-hmm. children or grandchildren opening their, their Christmas presents. But yeah. the, the, the ah that the sages talk about, and which I locate in literature, is is the awe that's unconditional, that doesn't depend on getting or not getting the ice cream. That 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 is just there, as it says in one of the uh, the uh, Hindu scriptures. It's like a candle flame in a windless place. Mm. And that candle flame is within you, right? I presume is with is within you. You know, yeah. um, and it in in the Gospels, Jesus says, "The kingdom of heaven." is within you. Yes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's heaven, you know, and it's just interesting that a lot of people go to, I don't know, Sunday school or something, and they walk away with the impression, oh, heaven is up in a cloud after you die. Yes. But that's not, that's not what the guy said is, is within you and not, and not 
could be someday or might be if you're virtuous enough is within you. You can't, it's, 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 it's there. It's ultimate reality right now. It's, it's the reality before we overlay it with all our concepts and worries and all that. And it turns out to be pretty simple to settle into that. You know, the main thing that I emphasize as a meditation teacher is stop trying because trying is self-defeating. It's like, you know, the, if we compare the mind to an ocean, Mm -hmm. Um, it's like people look out at the surface of the ocean. They see, oh, there's all these waves, right? All the waves of thought, perception, feeling, yes. and so forth. I, I need things to be calm. So uh, let me take some kind of oar or paddle and wham, 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 try to flatten out all the waves. And of course, that just Doesn't makes happen. the water more turbulent. Yes, so that's when you hear people say, oh, I tried to meditate, but it was hard. That's what was going on. So what mm. I was fortunate enough to learn from my teachers that I teach to others is leave the waves alone. What instead, just allow gravity to pull you down a couple of feet below the surface. And there you discover, oh, the water down here is always silent. That's true. So like the deep, the deepest part of the ocean. Right. The, the deepest, yeah. the deepest part of you. And that deepest part of you is, is below thinking and feeling is just being. And you're just mm. being all the time. You're, you're just being right now. It's the background to all you're doing and thinking, but it's, yeah. but we don't notice it because our attention goes to all the shiny objects in front. This is right. I love that. So you, what you're essentially saying is that it's accessible to us at any time. We just need to mm -hmm. tune in. Mm -hmm. And the more you tune in, um, the more you start to realize, okay, you know, and this tuning in is what we call meditation. And, you know, you do that for a little while, 15 or 20 minutes or something a day. And more and more you start noticing it. Oh, this is here all the time. This is the silent background to whatever's going on. And this is the awe that I was looking for in every thing. And it's out here in, in nothing, which is great because nothing is always there along with everything. Yeah. And, you know, Dean, you've been teaching meditation since the 1970s in all kinds of places. You've taught it at Ivy League schools to mm -hmm. and prisons. So mm -hmm. first of all, what kind of meditation do you teach? And how do you make it accessible to different kinds of people that you speak, that you speak to? Right. Right. Um, well, the meditation that I teach, um, and as much as possible, I try to keep it in, you know, plain American language. Uh, so, you know, occasionally I'll, we'll throw in these words like nirvana or kingdom of heaven, just so people know, okay, this is what all the traditions, what all the sages were talking about. It's not me making this stuff up. Um, uh, uh, what I, ca I call it is natural meditation. Actually, one earlier book of mine has that title, natural meditation. Yes. And what makes it natural is that we're using the, rather than trying to use strain and effort, we use the nature of the mind itself. And the nature of the mind is to always gravitate toward that, ah, that, that place of everything's fine. So, so that is in the analogy of the, the sinking into the silent ocean water, that's the gravity that pulls us down. So basically I show people how to, I, I, 
because people do come in with the expectation of they're going to make some effort or something. And, and there's a little bit of art to pulling the, the rug of effort out from under them. And then gravity just takes over and they just, they just sink into themselves. You know, we have this expression, uh, falling asleep or falling in love. Right. There's no effort involved in falling in love or falling that is asleep. True. You can't help it. Yes. So this is just like falling into ah. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and what was it like teaching um the inmates in in, in prisons? I mean, I, I can't even I can't even imagine. Were they responsive? Yeah, oh my god, yes. Um uh, no, it's it's the best. And people sometimes when they hear, oh, you taught in, you know, and I still do teach in maximum security prison, say, oh, that's so great. It's so noble. I go, no, there is nothing I would rather do because these guys are hungry. These guys, there's a certain kind of of wisdom that if, if, if you're paying attention, if you spend a few years locked up or many years locked up, I dealt with guys who were on 30 year sentences. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and, and this is considered the worst prison in New Jersey where I did most of my teaching, uh, Northern state prison in Newark, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, they realize, okay, I'm not going to find that awe of satisfaction anywhere on the outside. Right. Unlike people, like 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 me and i guess you who you know yeah. we've, we've had the luck of of living you know comfortable bourgeois lives on the outside here we can say okay i want ice cream i'll go to the corner and get ice cream uh my my shirt's falling apart i'll go buy a new one they don't have the they can't they can't um maintain the illusion that anything on the, that they can depend on anything outside themselves for their okayness because they can't depend on anything outside themselves. At any moment, any CO, corrections officer can say to any prisoner, okay, face down. You might be in a, standing on a mud puddle. If the CO says face down. You, you have to get face down. You can't depend on, on anything. Uh, so they're ready. They can't get it on the outside, they're ready to find it on the inside. One of my guys um, stopped showing up to our meetings. I asked the other guys, what, what happened to Albert? They said, oh, he got, you know, brought up on charges. He, he's in, he's been put in segregation. Segregation means um, yeah. solitary confinement. Solitary and confinement. he was there for, and he was there for six months. They actually sent him to another prison. Um, they put him in a, in a, cell right above the boiler room so it was like 90 something degrees day oh my goodness with mm. no tv no books no anything that's inhumane oh my god it is it's a form of torture it, 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 it should yeah. be outlawed yeah. yeah it's designed to drive people insane and and some people do go insane he didn't and when he came back he explained why he said yeah it was really tough at first and then i realized okay i'll make this a meditation retreat it's hot so i'll take off my clothes there's nothing on the outside, so I'll go inside. Basically, I closed my eyes. And I, I meditated for six months. Wow. That man should yeah. write a book whenever he gets <laughs> well, out. <laughs> I actually, I have, a ch I have a chapter about him in my book, Natural Meditation. I had oh, do you? Write, okay. I had him write his life story to me in, in letters, and I, and I condensed oh. it into a chapter in, in my book, Natural Meditation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And he's now, by the way, he completed his his time, and uh, he's now very happily married, has a oh. beautiful uh, baby daughter and a wonderful oh, wife and a, and, a, yeah. and a job with this state, a steady job with benefits. And, and so I, you know, that, that makes me very happy to. Yeah, and it should. Yeah. yeah. You, you had such Success a positive impact on his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a privilege. Yes. Yes. So Dean, let's, let's get back to the book because I'm excited yes. to talk about all these um, amazing uh Authors that you included, not just authors, like uh, you right. also have uh, music music producers and, and mm-hmm. such. Uh, your book features numerous literary giants like William Shakespeare, Henry David Thoreau, Ernest Hemingway, Toni Morrison, and like mm-hmm. several others. So um, why did you think that their messages that were embedded in their works, why did you think it was important to, to highlight and bring to people's attention? Mm-hmm. Um. Because what makes them literary giants is that whose, whose works endure. Um, you know, there were a lot of, uh, great playwrights, maybe not as great as Shakespeare, but whose, whose work is, is pretty well forgotten now. Um, um, what makes their work endure, I think, is that it talks to this most fundamental drive that we all have this gravitation that's making us gravitate toward that infinite okayness all the time so that when you know ahab is chasing moby dick and uh uh huck finn and jim are floating down the mississippi on their raft seeking freedom and gatsby is standing on his lawn in the dark with his arms outstretched yearning toward the green light that represents his his lost love daisy that you know they're all yearning for something but what they're all really yearning for is that ah and the great writers show all the ins and outs, all the thrills and spills of what happens when people fulfill that drive or fail to fulfill that drive. You know, when they fulfill it, it's called comedy. When they fail to fulfill it, it's called tragedy. Yeah. And I mean, so many of us have read these books when we were in high school, but we didn't have that. Um, we didn't have the experience or the the insight to really interpret it in the way you have. I know when I read Gatsby when I was um, I don't know in eleventh or twelfth grade. I mean, I I didn't really look so deep into into the meaning that was embedded in all in, in the story and the symbolism. Uh, so I, I it was great to to read it again and just see it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. Well, one of the nice things, um, especially now that we're starting to come out of quarantine and I'm starting to do some in-person events again, and I've done a number of, of events tied to this book, uh, readings and, and signings, and uh, people keep saying, gee, I wish I'd had you as my English teacher. I know. I was thinking that. Dean, you mentioned writers like um, Shakespeare and Blake, that they that their works reflected on certain Buddhist teachings. So how is that possible when Buddhism was not even known during their time? Right, right. So historically, right, they never heard of Buddhist teaching, but 
what's going on there. It's like when scientists in different parts of the world at different times independently make the same discoveries. Right. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the teachings of the Buddha, uh, there's no such thing as Buddhist truth. There's no such thing as, as Christian truth or, you know, there's only truth. There's only reality. There's the way things are. Um, and so, you know, um, gravity is not British or Christian just because the laws of gravity were discovered by Isaac Newton. It's, it's a universal phenomenon. So, for example, uh, and well, as you'll know, I, I write about this in the book. After William Blake died, uh, people going through his notebooks discovered a little four-line poem that he had never published, scrawled in pencil with crossouts, called Eternity. And it perfectly encapsulates in four little lines of simple, simple language, perfectly encapsulates the, the Buddha's four noble truths. It goes, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Mm. Okay, there's the whole, there's the whole thing right there, right? What do we do about the fact that we have, there are all these joys in our life, all these things, you know, from the bowl of ice cream to, oh my gosh, here's my beautiful grandchildren, so adorable running around the lawn. And, and here's this terrific, here's my favorite restaurant. And then, and what, and then what do we do about the fact that, you know, the, my favorite restaurant, they change chefs or something. Uh, my favorite shirt is turning into rags. Uh, you know, my grandchildren grow up and they, you know, they're not adorable little tykes anymore. Uh, all this stuff, all these joys in life are going away all the time. Yeah. Right. So, so what do we do about it? Well, the, the, the one, um, the, the usual impulse is try to bind them to ourselves, but it doesn't work. What does Blake say? He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. So I love this f figure, winged life, as if there's some delicate butterflies or angels or something. Mm -hmm. But if you try to bind it, if you try to tie it down, you destroy it, you crush it in that very moment. Yes. Right. How many situations have you known in your own life or you've seen in other people's lives whereby trying to hold on to something too hard to a situation in relationships? It happens a lot. People being too, right, clinging, too tight, too clingy. Exactly. And you, you wreck it. So what do you do? Go the other way, become a monk. Well, even the Buddha, wh who was a monk, didn't recommend that for, for everyone. Yeah. So so what do you do? That, that that we get the solution in this in the last two lines, but he who kisses the joy as it flies, right? Kiss it, love it, adore it, but as it flies, in the very moment you're love it as you're letting it go, love it as you're letting it go. Kiss the joy as it flies, and what what does that do for you? You live in eternity's sunrise. Now that. Mm. metaphor eternity sunrise right there you can t i can see it in your face you can taste that can't you yes that's, yes it's very that's, vivid that, 
Yeah. Yes, that's nirvana. You know how, how it is when you're there at sunrise, what it feels like, the beauty of it, the freshness of the air. It's like everything is clean and new and, and fresh and anything's possible. So if, if that delicate moment of sunrise could be all the time, could be for eternity, that's the answer to your question 20 minutes ago. That's nirvana, eternity sunrise. And that pretty much sums up the concept of surrendering, right? So. Yeah, yeah. You know, people hear this word surrender, and some people go, oh, that sounds great. A lot of people, that kicks up resistance. They say, I don't want to surrender. My- yeah, initially, yeah. yes. yes. Yeah, because what they think is, well, I don't want to surrender my control. But the reality is you were never in control. That's true. What you what what you surrender is the illusion. As you of get control. older, you you realize that. <laughs> you realize that. You realize yeah. that. Yeah. And 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 re- realizing it sooner than later saves you a lot of wear and tear. A lot of pain. Oh my goodness. Yes. Right. And and by the way, the place where you really learn that in a in a concentrated form is in practicing meditation, natural meditation, because that mm-hmm. consists of completely letting go of, of, of the illusion of control, of just realizing, okay, I'm not driving. Mother nature is driving. I'm just relaxing in the passenger seat. We are co-creating, right? I mean, we do have to do some, we have to put in some effort, right? Um, after we come out of meditation, not in meditation. In in meditation, any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It took me years to formulate this sentence. Any effort, this is back, if you just visualize again the whole idea of of the ocean and the waves. Any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. Okay. Right? We keep, we're trying to flatten out the waves. First of all, you can't do it. There's too many. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you, you, you flatten out one and there's, there's five more. But the reality is the more effort you put into trying to whack down the waves, the more you, you stir up the water. So people trying to still their mind is a contradiction. The trying is itself not still. It's a form, but but so the the good news is you don't have to still the mind. The mind is unimportant. The mind, which is the faculty of thinking, is up here. Mm-hmm. What is important is awareness, is the beingness which underlies that, and and that's available all the time. Again, that's why prison is a great place to meditate because you can't find a quiet place. You know, I'd be sitting there with my guys in our cinder block chapel and there was this big speaker right in the middle of the ceiling above our heads and we'd be in the middle of, of you know i'm leading the group meditation and in in the middle of it the voice comes over the speaker attention all areas attention all units uh spanish choir out to the gym or you know last call for medication something like that and um you know the guys quickly learned that it's fine mm-hmm. So in the same way, you don't have to shush the environment. You don't have the outer environment. You don't have to shush your inner environment. You just have to sink within to the place inside you where 
uh, it's it's always silent, no matter how noisy it is on the surface. Now, then, as a result of that, the mind has a tendency to become more quiet. Thoughts have a tendency to settle down. But that's a side effect. That's not the method. See, that's where people get it confused. And so that's why people, you'll hear from people, oh, well, to meditate, you've got to sit for, you know, hours a day and so forth. Um, that's, yeah, if you're trying to do it through effort, then it, it takes hours till, actually, till what happens is finally you get exhausted and stop trying and then you sink within. So when I was, for, I didn't have the patience for that. So fortunately, I met teachers who showed me how to, no, just skip all that effort part and, and let the sinking take over in the first 10 minutes. Well, what, is, what has been your longest uh, meditation? Like how long can you, can you go until... My longest meditation in one sitting, actually, it's a great question because there's a good story. I was on a retreat with my, my old teacher, Maharishi, in, in the island of Mallorca in the Mediterranean. And, um, and Maharishi used to always make sure that we all had to come to meetings every day and, and only meditate for, you know, some like – maybe 20 or 30 minutes at a clip and then come out and do some yoga and do some breathing and so forth. But this was one day, it was January 12th, actually, it's his birthday, January 12th, 1972. And he said, okay, take the day off. Today's the day, just meditate all day if you want. And I thought, okay, this is it. Gangbusters, <laughs> this is the day I'm gonna, I'm gonna storm the gates of enlightenment. And I got all sat up and I sat down on my bed and I meditated for six hours. And finally, I decided, okay, that's enough. I'm going to come out now. <laughs> and at the moment that I decided I'm going to come out now, I stopped <laughs> trying to meditate. And that's when I sank within. And so then, and then, oh, and then I stayed there for about another half hour. So those first six hours, because I was so determined, this is the big day. I'm going to make it happen. That those those six hours were essentially a waste of time. It was when I gave up <sighs> that it happened. So really, what I teach people to do is is give up from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, um, uh, these days I lead guided meditation uh, online via Zoom three times a week. It's open to everyone. It's free. And okay. uh, I guess you'll, you'll post my website and people. Can yeah, absolutely. I will. Website. I will. Yeah. And also my YouTube channel. I've posted some of our previous sessions are on my YouTube channel. Oh, great. Oh, great. The link to your YouTube channel is on your website, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, okay great. Um, yeah. Th those are some great resources. And uh, I encourage everyone to check it out because it seems like mm -hmm. you really know you've been doing this for a really long time. I can understand it on a whole new level. Yeah. Well, I've been very fortunate, you know, to be thrown into all these teaching situations, uh, yeah. you know, teaching high schoolers, teaching mm -hmm. guys in prison, teaching all kinds of. Now, these days I live in, in Santa Monica. I deal with a lot of people in the film industry. Uh, okay. Oh, I'll bet that's fun. <laughs> so I, I deal with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jean, before I let you go, I very quickly want to ask you about some of the ca two characters that really caught my attention in the in in the book. Uh, Doctor mm -hmm. Sewis, uh, who wrote Cat yes. in the Hat, right, mm -hmm. and uh, Rogers and uh, Hammerstein. Uh, I mm -hmm. thought they were quite unconventional 
choices for for a book uh, on great literature. So book on great literature, putting them yeah. in their cheek, cheek by jowl yeah. with, with Shakespeare and and Keats and and Melville. yeah, it was like I scanned the book and I and and I thought and then I saw the, their names and I'm just like hmm. Okay. <laughs> like, right. So I just want to know what is your thought process behind behind adding those oh, adding thought, to the book? Thought had nothing to do with it. Okay. <laughs> what it, what, what it was? Them? Why did yes. you add them to the book? Uh, you know, really, my this my guideline for everything that went in there, which was which was um, that something there made me go, wow. Wow. And then, and then I had to follow up. Why was it making me say, wow? You know, I realized the cat in the hat is a Zen master. You know, the cat in the hat, he, he barges in uninvited, barges through, through the door of this, you know, suburban, uh, home. Uh, and I, and I mentioned in, in that chapter that Dr. Seuss's, that this book came along in 1957, you know, right in the middle of, it was the Cold War, the Eisenhower years. I was in the first grade. We were was it the civil to, rights? Was that going on at that uh, time? The civil rights yeah, movement was, movement was, was yeah. going. I mean, it reached its real kind of, you know, peak in the, in the mid sixties, uh, but it was, yes. but it was, it was revving up. And, um, uh, uh, and, and I was finishing the first grade. So we'd spent a year reading, uh, the Dick and Jane books, which were awful. They were just so boring. Dick can run, see Dick run, run, Dick run. Just awful. And then along comes the cat in the hat and just, he's completely anarchic. He's tearing up the house. Uh, and, you know, and juggling all the, all the objects and, 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 you know, crashing, com completely creating chaos. And it's great. And it's all written in this, uh, anapestic verse, which is da, 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 which is reverse waltz time, you know, waltz time, yun, da, da, dun, 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 like, you know, graceful. It's like dancers. a tempo. Gliding around, yeah. Yeah. Da, da, da. But this is da 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 da, which is like galloping camels or something, uh, <laughs> or or you know the 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 the, the mafiosi in in the Sopranos, bada bing. Um, and and if you read most of his books, he uses that same uh, anapestic meter. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I went, wow, this is fantastic. And then like the, 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 the cat's outfit. And I spend a couple of pages breaking down the iconography of, mm -hmm. of the cat's appearance and his outfit. Uh, I spent, uh, some time in Tibet with a wonderful teacher, Charles Janoux, who's a world expert on what's called iconography. You work, walk through all these temples and see all these different Buddhas and things. You can see I got a couple on my, my shelf there. And there, that it's all symbolic. You know, when you see a, I mean, this is, that's Ganesh, who's Sri Ganesh, who's a, you know, a, a Hindu god. Hindu god, yeah. And right, people see that and they think, oh, this is a a guy with an elephant's head. But doesn't doesn't mean that people expect a guy with an elephant's head to to walk into the room. It means that the elephant is the biggest animal, so he's got a human body and an elephant's head. This represents living your body is here on the human level, living your ordinary life, your head is in the infinite. Your head that's that's enlightenment. Mm. So in the same way, 
the cat in the hat that every I'm I know we don't have time to go through all the details, but yeah. why red and white stripe and why three red stripes and two white stripes? Why are his hand, his hand, this is what's called a mudra, the hand position, which, which just says the whole story of, of, of repose and activity and enlightenment is, is there in the, in the, the mudra and the hand gesture and so forth. So I just, that was irresistible. I, I I had to do that. I mean, I I actually would love for you to take a look at uh, the Wizard of Oz. I've written a little bit about about that in an, in another book. I actually wrote a whole book called Cinema Nirvana, where I I take familiar movies like The Ooh, Godfather, Snow I, White and Seven Dwarfs. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to get that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's something. Yeah. It's called Cinema Nirvana, Enlightenment Cinema Lessons Nirvana. from the Movies. And yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll get together. We'll, we'll, we'll do a session on Cinema Nirvana if you'd like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I made it a point to do just films that no one would ever think of as having a spiritual component or enlightenment component, like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, and Casablanca, of course, had to be there and just yeah. show, yeah, it's, it's all there. It's all there. So, and then Rogers and Hammerstein, Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma begin and Oklahoma premiered in 1943 in the middle of the second world war. Um, no one had ever, ever heard of this play. There were no big stars. They were trying to fill up the house. They, they went out into the street and gave free tickets to GIs on leave to try to pack the house. Really? Okay. The 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 curtain comes up and instead of seeing a whole chorus line of girls kicking up their shapely legs, there's an old lady on a farm churning butter and from off stage you hear this baritone voice of Curly the hero singing there's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. So I heard that. I found this great production of Oklahoma on, on, online from the, um, and, and I heard that and I went, wait a minute, a bright golden haze on the meadow. What is a meadow? Meadow is a wild but beautiful uncultivated area. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's like the kingdom of heaven within. That's this beingness within. It's uncultivated. Right. It's it's never affected or changed by all the doing and thinking and speaking because it's just being. Um, when we sink into that in meditation, it's sort of like a haze. You know, all the 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 sounds and the thoughts are still there, but they're you know, as we were saying earlier, kind of left behind on the other side of this haze. But it's not a smudgy, dull haze. It's a bright, golden haze. Now that's exactly how scientists who've taken meditators into the lab describe what happens in meditation. They call it the wakeful hypometabolic state. Hypometabolic meaning you're settled down into a deep state of rest as Mm -hmm. when you're asleep, but you're wide awake to enjoy that rest. You're wide awake to enjoy that silence. So it's a bright golden haze. And I tell the story in the book that on the first opening night of that show, Curly sang that line from off stage. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. And as it was described later by 
Agnes DeMille, the choreographer, she said, and then I heard something that I never heard before or since in the theater. The entire audience collectively went, ah. Really? Yes. So there, see, there it is. So There's they tapped that, into something that was universal. Like exactly. everyone can connect with it. Yeah. Exactly. And there it is. That's that same awe of recognition that we've been talking about. That's what Jesus talked about. That's what Buddha talked about. That's yes. what Al-Halaj talked about. That's what Rumi talked about. Uh, and, and that's what, on a good day, Shakespeare and Toni Morrison uh, and Virginia Woolf and John Keats and John Donne all talked about. Right. And I was uh, I found it interesting that you um, included Virginia Woolf as well, because didn't she? I know her life ended pretty tragically. Right. She took she took her own life. Yes, so, she did. She, she did. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is real life. Her recognition you read. In my book, I do a whole chapter on on her fifth novel, To the Lighthouse. But you read To the Lighthouse, you read Mrs. Dalloway, uh, you read Orlando, and you see that her perception of of what we're what we've been talking about here for this whole hour is so clear. She got it. But you know, the fact of the matter is that. She, she had this very difficult childhood. She was sexually mm. molested by a stepbrother yes. for years, and it just right. wasn't enough to to overcome that. And right. and, and she she finally she didn't want to burden her her husband any longer. Yeah, so she can cope with those yeah. those wounds. And, and actually, and I do a lot. I do a lot of that uh, in 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 the book, which is including the human stories of these writers. Yes, uh, yeah, you do because it, because they're human beings, and for they that are, matter, you know the the sages. It's hard to think that because we put them all on pedestals. All these exactly, we put know. them on pedestals, and generally, it's their followers, it's the disciples, the people ca who came after, who airbrushed the picture. You know, That's who true. try to who try to elevate them. You know, let's let's take out the part where you know where you know the the where the, where the Buddha had a bad day or where where Jesus <laughs> and then every once in a while Just something stays it. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 to me, it's um, it diminishes their story if we make them some kind of god that came out of a cloud because that's too easy if they were guys like us who had to you know deal with their humanness and try to find okay where's that place of being that place of awe that lies at the depths of the humanness and then oh now i've found it and now how can i share it with others to me that's much more inspiring Right, right. All right, Dean, you know, we could talk all day, but I think we better end the interview here. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and for writing this beautiful book. It was such a pleasure to read it. I'm sure a lot of people will connect with it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Of course. And I just want to mention to all, all our listeners, uh, Dean Slider's new book, The Dharma Bump's Guide to Western Literature, Finding Nirvana in the Classics is now available at uh, wherever books are sold and on his website, deanslider.com. The link will be in the description box. All right, Dean, it's been wonderful talking to you. I, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.